This is another Poets at War General Report. And here's your General, Joshua David Ling. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the General's Report. Uh, we've got some actual Poets at War interviews coming up soon, but I've been doing a bunch of these lately, and it's honestly been kind of fun. I've heard a lot of people really enjoy them and reach out to me about things. I would definitely like, if you haven't checked out last week's episode on the Nashville divorce, uh, I, as a theory of mine, I would really love y'all's uh, thoughts, especially anyone in and around Nashville. I would love their thoughts on my theory about how uh, all of that uh, came about. So uh, with that being said, uh, today we've got a weird one. This is actually kind of the core of everything that I'm usually talking about. And I'm actually not going to use Hebrews this time. <laughs> I'm actually going to use the Old Testament uh, in talking about this. Um, there's this phrase that comes around Advent and Christmas time pretty often. It's in a lot of our hymns. And a lot of people don't realize where it comes from. They don't realize that it's a biblical phrase and a biblical statement from the prophets. And uh, it's not used often, not nearly as often as it is in our hymns. And so some people get uh, messed up. And you can see how some more conservative people are going to get tripped up by this phrase as well. Um, hilariously, though, the best version I could find uh, to uh, explain this, I'm using New King James, but it's the King James that really kind of gets this right. The more conservative NASBs, you know, sort of thing. They... I don't think they get this right. Um, and neither does John Calvin, <laughs> which you'll all find out pretty soon. But we're going to uh, get, get into this here in just a moment. Um, I want you all to continue to check out my poetry bricks. Those are the stories that I've been doing um, over everywhere, YouTube, TikTok, etc. Um, I'm just about to be finishing up Guardians of Atlanta, the first episode fairly, fairly soon, the first full, uh, it's actually eight parts, um, and I'm going to be putting that together into a, I know I said all vertical video, and I am going to be doing all vertical video, but I'm going to be uh, playing around with some uh, ways of doing landscape uh, for the sake of watching at home watching full episodes and I'm I'm still playing around with the format uh but it's going to be more of a long term we sit down and watch this as a family kind of a thing as a separate thing that you can get yourself through supporting uh me and what I do uh joshuadavidling.com/support and those will be available hopefully soon I'm I'm really trying to make it a quality product that people can enjoy so let's get into our story uh, today, our story, our talk, whatever. We, I can call it a story, right? I'm sort of weaving a story here. It's a nonfiction story, but it's it's still a story. It still has chronological meaning. Uh, so with that, we're going to start in two places. I'm going to read two passages of scripture. Uh, the main one I want to focus on is Hag Haggai 2... Um, one through five, um, excuse me, no, excuse me, one through, we'll just do one through nine, uh, to get it, get it started off. And then, um, Isaiah 60, one through, let's see, <laughs> we'll do one through five. So let's begin with Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. 
For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart will swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Okay, that's the first one, and then we're going to do the second one. I know you didn't hear Desire of Nations, right? (laughs) You didn't hear it. It was there. Uh, And then here is literally there in this translation. Uh, Haggai 2, starting in verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. That's not something that I'm uh, uh, speaking on today, but I'm emphasizing it. And work. For I am with you. Be your family's bard. Anyway, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. All right. So both, obviously, prophecies about Christ, prophecies about uh, the New Jerusalem of the church, right? Uh, the church being a a uh, New Jerusalem and people streaming into it, the Gentiles streaming into it. You got a lot of surface stuff. Everyone kind of knows what this is talking about. Anyone who reads their Bible kind of knows what this is talking about in both places, as we do with most of the minor prophets. We just kind of shove them off in a corner and then we read them and then we're like, I think I know what that's about, but we don't ever really look really closely. So, what's the what's the brouhaha here? What is this desire of nations? And why is it in so many of our Christmas songs? Okay. Well, what do the nations desire? We know that the heart of man is wicked above all else, blah, blah, blah. Well, it can't be that, because it says the desire of nations is a saving grace (laughs) in these passages, right? And the obvious answer is Jesus, because we know our Advent hymns fairly well. 
uh, O come desire of nations, bind and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad division cease and be to us thy king of peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. Uh, yeah, we know those things. <laughs> but we know it's Jesus. We know our Sunday school answer, Jesus. But why is Jesus called the desire of nations? Well, let's uh, let's let's look at this uh, in the NASB version, uh, which usually really great translation. This is one spot where it's a little funky. Um, so we're gonna go New American Standard. We're gonna do Haggai two, and I'm gonna read just the section that be, that that speaks of the. Uh, desire of nations. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of armies. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of armies. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of armies. NASB is really literalistic, and there's different versions. I'm going to go ahead while I'm doing this. I didn't look at it before, but the 1995 NASB, um, just to see if they say, uh, yep, it says wealth of all nations in this one as well. So what's the deal? Why are the more conservative ones saying wealth of nations and uh, some of the more traditional-ish, you know, and some of the newer ones saying desire of nations? Well, if you go and you look at your interlinear, which I know people go, oh my goodness, I don't know other languages. You don't have to. <laughs> Interlinear is one of those things that you can look at and see how the Bible uses a word in all the other places it uses a Hebrew or Greek word and kind of get an idea, a better idea at least, of what the author is trying to say. So the word in Haggai in particular, we're going to look at the one in um, Isaiah 2, but this or Isaiah 60 as well. Uh, but what I mean to say is, um, I, I'm probably not pronouncing this right, but it's H-E-M-D-A-T, Hemdot. I'm going to say Hemdot. Uh, this is how it's used in context in various portions of the scripture. Uh, Samuel 9.20, uh, it's in NASB, it says, that is desirable. Uh, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Whom is all, whom is all, oh, excuse me, whom is all is desirable, Israel not, international version. So desirable, we've got that as an option for this word. Second Chronicles 36.10, it says, him to Babylon with the valuable, with the valuable articles, him to Babylon with the goodly vessels, KJV, International with the articles, the valuable of the house of God, uh, of the Lord, INT. Okay, so we've got desirable, we've got valuable, we've got this sort of adjective going on, right? It's not a noun like it is in our case in Haggai, but we do see it as an adjective, something that's valuable, good, desirable, etc. Okay, so we're kind of getting an idea of what this word means. It's a noun version of this. And then we see it in noun form in Daniel 11.37 and Haggai 2.7. So Daniel, it says, of his fathers or for the desire of women, 
of his fathers nor the desire of women and will show above the desire of women above. So we're seeing this being used desire quite often, but it also means valuable. And then a bunch of places in uh, uh, versions of Haggai, they say they come with the wealth of all nations. That what this word really means is something that is to be desired. We don't really have an English word for this. Um, when it says desire of nations, it means the desirable thing or one of the nations, right? Which is why I think wealth is a little bit weird in this in this situation. It's pretty obviously singular. Um, and you could say wealth is singular, but it kind of is an all-encompassing plural weird thing going on, right? So the whole with the wealth of all nations, yes, in context later on, it's talking about gold and silver. Uh, what does this exactly mean? So we're going to go to John Calvin. Really, really, really good expositor. Far better than I will ever be. Far better than most pastors will ever be. Uh, this is his... Uh, situation here, uh, what he says about this passage. He, speaking of Haggai, this is John Calvin speaking of Haggai, he afterwards adds the desire of all nations. This admits two explanations. The first is that the nations shall come and bring with them everything that is precious in order to consecrate it to the service of God, for the Hebrews call whatever is valuable a desire. So that under this term, they include all riches, honors, pleasures, and everything of this kind. Hence, some render the passage thus. I will shake all nations and come and come shall the desire of all nations. And there is a change of number others will have. Beth, or, and he gets into the Hebrew weeds for a second. He says, uh, to be understood, uh, they shall come with what they desire, that is, the nations shall not come empty, but shall gather all their treasure to be a holy oblation to God. But we may understand what he says of Christ, come shall the desire of all nations, and I will fill this house with glory. We indeed know that Christ was the expectation of the whole world, according to what was said by Isaiah. There he goes. He's referencing Isaiah 60. It doesn't say in his notes that he's referencing it, but that's the main place I believe that he is referencing. Uh, so that could be my error, but I'm just letting you know ahead of time. It's not mentioned in his commentary. And it may be properly said that when the desire of all nations shall come, that is, when Christ shall be manifested, in whom the wishes of all ought to center the glory of the second temple shall then be illustrious but as it was as it immediately follows mine is the silver mine is the gold the more simple meaning is that which i first stated that the nations would come bringing with them all their riches that they might offer themselves and all their possessions as a sacrifice to god 
It is then better to read what follows as an explanation. Mine is the silver, mine is the gold, saith Jehovah. That is, I have uh, not through want of money deferred hitherto to complete the building of the temple. For what can hinder me from amassing gold and silver from all quarters? So it ple so should it please me, I could in a short time build a temple by all the wealth of the world. Is it not indeed my power in my power to create mountains of gold and silver by which I might erect for myself a temple? Ye hence see that wealth is not wanting to me to build the temple which I have promised, but the time is not arrived. Therefore they who believe the preceding, predic preceding predictions ought to wait and look forward until the suitable time shall come. This is the import of the passage. So it is about Christ. He is the desire of nations. And all the desires, all the good things, all the pleasures, all of the, the honors, the riches, everything else, like it says, like John says, uh, John Calvin says here, they are coming to give it to Christ because he is their true desire. There's a ton of meaning right here in what Haggai is saying and what Isaiah is saying. Now, Isaiah, going back to that, he does not say desire of nations, and he actually uses a completely different word for that. Um, but the word uh, is, is, a, is a similar word that essentially means uh, army, able men, it can also mean wealth and riches. It means the forces of. The forces of the nations. The powers of the nations. Okay? And in that, in that context, he's also talking about Christ. But he's also talking about all the powers of the world under the foot of Christ. So now thus far we've been talking about all these sorts of things. So why is fairy tales in the title right here? Why is it say fairy tales? Why? <laughs> okay. There's many, many things that we uh, uh, hold dear and believe. And we hold spiritually dear to us. God is good. All the time, some of you echoed, particularly Southerners. There's things doctrinally and scripturally and spiritually that we hold dear. There are also physical things we hold dear. I mean, I got all these books and instruments and things back here. There's money, there's status, there's all these different sorts of things. Sorry if I'm a little bit out of breath. I had to, uh, my wife usually on Mondays takes my children elsewhere and she forgot the lunch. So I had to run it out to her. Um, there are things that we value spiritually and physically. And one thing that has always been valued throughout the history of time and space, uh, you can see it in every culture, every book of the Bible is storytelling and the storytelling of our ancestors, of magical occurrences, 
miracles, if you will. And many of them get passed down and changed. And not changed always in a bad way, not changed always in a good way, but changed nonetheless from generation to generation. These are commonly referred to as fairy tales, and their spiritual value and their physical value go up and down with every culture that they move into. They change with the culture. They are an outpouring of our desires. See where I'm going with this? Rightly said by G.K. Chesterton and others, there is one true myth or true fairy tale, and that is Christ. And he, I'm saying this part now, is the fairy tale to which all the other fairy tales eventually point when you start reverse engineering the telephone game. <laughs> you know, the telephone game, someone says, uh, a phrase, 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 and the next person says, phrase, 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 and then the next person says, phrase, 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 right? And so we get this changing of the story through time. But if you reverse into that, engineer that story, you will get back to Noah and thus Adam just about every single time. Just about. I don't believe that there's any story that can float, <laughs> uh, that can be considered enjoyable and timeless. If it is inherently all lies, it's just impossible. It's impossible to make something beautiful without... Uh, it is impossible to make something ugly and evil without twisting something beautiful first. And I believe that. I believe the scripture is very clear about that. We are the image of God. There is good underneath this situation, but it has been bent. All of humanity has been bent. So what do we do when our stories get bent? We reform them. We reform them. Through the scripture, through the lens of the Bible. But okay, so, all right, this is one of the many riches. Well, why is it an important uh, group of this wealth that's being talked about. Why is it uh, 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 tied to Christ, who is the desire of nations? Well, if everything ties back to the Bible, all these fairy tales, and they eventually tie back to the main character of the tales, Jesus, who is the protagonist of the story. He is the hero. The hero, capital H-E-R-O. We use the term savior a lot. I like to use the term hero because he accomplished the hero feat. He is the chosen one. You're the chosen one, Neo. No, Christ is the chosen one, right? You're the chosen one, Anakin. No, Christ is the chosen one. They are all types and shadows. Said I wasn't going to use Hebrews, but I'm referencing it briefly. But the point is this. Christ is the desire of nations. He is the wealth of nations. He is the one who gives the gold and the silver and the spiritual blessings and the honors and the riches and all of these things. And he is the one who gives us the fairy tales because he's in them. 
He is represented by the types and shadows in these fairy tales. For from him, to him, through him are all things. To God be the glory forever. Amen. Romans 11. Tail end of it. <laughs> if you're not seeing this all-encompassing connection, I don't know what else to do for you. <laughs> Just remember, when you're singing, O come desire of nations, when you're singing of the great desire of all the nations, this Advent and Christmas season, remember you are singing of the hero of all the fairy tales, all the joys, all the wonders you have ever felt curled up in your father's lap or your mother's lap, reading you stories of St. George, of Aslan, of even Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella, and on and on and on and on, and Gilgamesh, <laughs> and Hercules, and all these others. They're just types and echoes and shadows and imitations of the real thing. So when you feel the thrill of Hercules killing a lion or Aslan taking back Narnia, remember, Christ really did that 2,000 years ago on the cross. He really accomplished it for you. So that you would be a lowercase h-e-r-o. That you would be a little hero in your own world. Bring the kingdom closer to its full culmination. Be your family's bard. Be your family's hero. Do not turn to the right or to the left. And the Lord will be with you wherever you go. We'll see you next time in the trenches on Poets at War. God of song said these words awoke within you, a stirring and radiant fire, please remember even a bard is worthy of his wages and higher. Go to joshuadavidling.com support to support me and my family.